I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are the, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome Hello. to the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In every episode, we talk about the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been ta- watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, a main topic of discussion or review for the episode. And then film faves, our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. In this episode, since we're still in quarantine, suffering from a worldwide pandemic, we figured this is a great opportunity to focus on non-theatrical releases. That's very exciting. I love non-theatrical releases so much. So to clarify, those are movies that were made for TV, made for cable, direct-to-video, or direct-to-streaming movies that never even had a limited release in the theaters theatrically, or in the United States theaters theatrically. So, uh, as such, our review will be of Horse Girl on Netflix from February, and then we will count down our favorite non-theatrical movies in Film Faves. More on those later, but first, let's give a little bit of an update of what's been going on since we last recorded with this whole pandemic situation. A lot has happened, I feel like, since around the time that we recorded last. We were, I think around that time, we went through or started our first stay at what do they call it? Stay at home, stay in place, shelter it's, in place? Uh, in Washington State, it's called Stay Home, Stay Healthy. Okay. It's not called shelter in place because shelter in place suggests other things. And so the government in Washington made something specific to Washingtonians mm. to allow everyone. It's more or less yeah. the same thing, though, right? I mean, like, the only time you're allowed to go out is for groceries, gas, to go for a walk around the block, and emergency services, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're not it's not too strict here. I know that in South Africa they have roadblocks and you have to wear a mask when you go out mm. and you have to say where you're going and when you come back through the roadblock they're going to check if you were being honest. Now, to that point, a few days prior to this date of recording, which is almost uh, a week into the month, so about a few days ago. We're on the 6th of April right now. They had extended this order for another month, which wasn't a big surprise because we were still not at peak pandemic yet. And they, the CDC has since strongly recommended, strongly recommended, wearing masks whenever you go outside here. And also, we should talk about the employment situation. Uh, many people are able to work from home in the private and public sectors, but uh, most of the a good chunk of the population are considered non-essential workers. So a large number of businesses were shut down for this whole period. Restaurants are just doing curbside takeout or delivery, which has been a godsend for many families, I know. But um, nice, well-deserved break. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. 
But uh, grocery stores are essential, and they're one of the primary things. So all their affiliates have been working hard to try to supply things for people. I am actually one of those affiliates, so I've been quite busy. Shanna, you uh, are... Oh, we can call you what you really are. A hero. Oh. An essential. Well, that's very kind of you. But that, uh, that I don't, I don't, I was going to transition to you, uh. and I don't want to, like, <laughs> compare, like, oh, you are not a hero, and you are not essential. Well, I, but. look, I'm, I'm technically not essential. I'm nannying virtually. Uh, we're having play dates online, and it's, it's rather fun. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I love my little kiddo, but sometimes it's nice not to be coughed in the face. <laughs> and <laughs> sometimes. But I do miss him, and he actually gave me a hug virtually. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, just kill me. You're so cute. Yeah. But it's nice. It's nice playing with my toys, and he plays with his toys, and we make stories, and, and that's nice. Uh, the photography is really sad because obviously no events can happen. Therefore, I have nothing to photograph. You know, can't be hired to to photograph, which is is rather, it's rather sad. You know, in two weeks' time, it was supposed to be, I believe, it was supposed to be the arts arts walk and the procession of the species in Olympia, and that's one that I really enjoy photographing. But uh, you know, obviously, that's not happening, and and that's really sad. And Mm. a lot of other events that I photograph, you know, I've had to postpone or flat out cancel and and you know it's really sad for the community because events mean bringing the community together whether it's to acknowledge something or celebrate something and so it's been difficult for a lot of people including myself with regards to that i know it's forcing a lot of photographers to think outside the box and try to do things virtually too so hopefully though some things will bounce back for you in that regard well And so it's been feeling very weird since this whole thing, but I've been making face masks and that's been making me feel pretty good. Hmm. It's, it's exhausting, you know, sitting for four hours straight, (laughs) Um, but I'm getting faster at sewing them and people want them. And that's exciting because I don't want to be with a hundred masks at home at the end of the day so uh it's it's really nice that people want masks and i can sew for them as far as movies are concerned well that's been a happy celebration at least at home well uh in in terms of the industry there have been several what do you call release dates uh being announced for mm, all the movies or a lot of the movies that have been postponed that we were supposed to be enjoying by now or soon after now. The, uh, it seems like the movie industry is optimistically thinking end of July at the earliest is when we'll be past all of this. So I'm seeing dates as early as the second half of July all the way through the fall. What that may mean, though, is it may make for a really tough four or five months at the end of the year because you will have not only all the movies that is traditionally a cram session in the the fall season with the film festival season and everything, the awards season, but on top of that, you'll have everything that couldn't be released 
in the spring and the first half of summer or so. So it will be kind of interesting. We'll see what happens. And then, of course, some other movies have been pushed into next year, which is just kind of unfortunate because now we have to wait longer for some things that we were looking forward to. Oh, and also what's interesting is the streaming services, they've been dropping a bunch of series, a bunch of shows to binge. Surprisingly, not so much any movies, but really just like uh, seasons of shows have been like original content have been pushed out, which is a little surprising. And by movies, I mean original movies, not previously released movies. Um, a lot of, as, as a point of clarification, a lot of movies that were in the theaters have been pushed to video on demand. I was very surprised to see that Trolls World Tour, which the previous Trolls movie was a huge money-making opportunity for Sony, that movie has officially been pushed to video on demand so we're kind of waiting and seeing kind of taking things a week at a time still with the movie industry and trying to figure out episodes of the show we'll talk about future programming again at the end of the program why don't we get on into our show with the week in review and and since shanna you've been home all the time i haven't really gotten any opportunities to see much on my own but you have seen quite a few things. Why don't you hit us with uh, what you've been watching? Sure. So it's been really nice being at home. I, I have loved it. But I will say that when, when it's time to go out again, I'm going everywhere every day. Right. <laughs> I'm going to pick a different spot. Anyway, so the first movie I watched was Between Two Ferns, and I was not aware that it was a TV show by uh, Zach Galifianakis is interviewing different celebrities you've never i've never seen the show wow but, but were you I aware s- of it and no. it's a concept no oh what drew you to this movie that's so <laughs> weird i can't remember what was in the trailer but i saw the trailer and i was like oh i want to watch this so i watched it and so okay my perspective is going to be coming from someone who has no idea what the the show is like yeah that's interesting. so you know it starts off with zach galifianakis interviewing matthew mcconaughey and he's asking him really weird questions and it's horribly uncomfortable and matthew mcconaughey is staying serious and then matthew mcconaughey nearly dies because there's a flooding in the studio but this all happens in the first like five ten minutes so okay. it's not that sacred so it's just it's really funny and then in the story will ferrell sees his show posts it somewhere it gets a a bunch of views and will ferrell gives zach this mission you know get to i think la by a certain day and i will give you this much money to make your show and so it becomes this huge mission they're they're driving across the country or whatever i don't know where they're coming from and trying to go from local network tv to Will Ferrell, who's going to help give them a show huh. on like prime time, right. you know, and so they interview different people like Brie Larson on the way there, and then they interview Peter Dinklage, and a hilarity happens there, and there's a couple other people that get interviewed, and I guess you know I just sat through it thinking, well, this is interesting, and then it's only at the very end that I really loved it because at the end that's where all the outtakes are of actor all these celebrities try not to laugh but then they crack up and it's just hilarious watching everyone laugh okay that's very interesting to hear 
you come at it. I mean, I, I've never seen it, it I, but I know enough to know it's a web series with the premise of it being a local uh, public product, whatever you call that, you know, public like access TV, you know, public access, you know, talk show. And it's in, the entire purpose is to be entirely and incredibly awkward. And, you know, there's famous episode with Barack Obama and, and several other really famous episodes and not being a fan or familiar with the show. Do you recommend seeing the movie? Or do you really think that you're missing out not having familiarity with the web series? No, I would say that you can get by just just watching it As just a... normal. Okay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. What do you rate it out of 10? Oh, maybe like a six because there's just so much awkwardness for me. Yeah. But like, as I said, the end credits is hilarious. So. Right on. So that's Between Two Ferns. And where did you find that? It's on Netflix. Cool. What else have you been watching? Also on Netflix, the Roe v. Wade documentary. I got through it. Yay. (laughs) This movie was released, I think, last year, kind of when certain states were starting to change laws around abortion, making it more difficult Mm. for people to have access to safe abortion um, services. So I was angry when that was happening and had a hard time being able to push the play button on this movie but you know what a great way to spend quarantine (laughs) with a movie about abortion rights trying to be that that's constantly threatened Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and what was nice about it is they really jump straight into it and focus on the history of abortion rights and how it started and they kind of go a little bit by little bit each decade and give a little bit of information, you know, for each decade, uh, which I really liked. And, you know. So they go in a chronological. Yes. Linear. Like how it came to pass, mm-hmm. why it came to pass, how was it being challenged, you know, by who and when mm-hmm. at different times throughout History. since its existence, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and it also represents different, the different sides, you know, it represents the scientists, the religious people, the the women, the people that help provide a safe space. So you've got a lot of different voices contributing in the, you know, a lot of different angles coming together and not coming together in one room, but coming together and, mm-hmm. and talking about, you know, why they feel the way they feel. And sometimes it's expressed better by certain parties than others. And it's it's quite an quite an emotional roller coaster because, you know, I believe in safe legal abortion access, uh, should it be needed, and it's that person's choice. It's not yours or anyone else's. They need to be safe, and you know, I it's an emotional roller coaster because I'll get angry at that person on the TV, or I'll shout and scream at that person, or I'll just absolutely just bore my eyes out you know empathizing with other people mm-hmm. i got through it um if anyone else is sensitive like me with this kind of topic i think it's important to to watch it because there's things that you don't know about until you watch this i watched half of it and there was some upsetting content in it but i was also struck by how there were some talking heads who represented opponents of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, do you feel like the film felt balanced on the issue? Or do you feel like, 
or do you feel like no? So the only criticism I have with regards to that, I felt like they did a good, they were doing a decent job, but it would have been so much better if they had more women who have had abortions that appreciated it, who were unsure of it, and who regretted it. Because you always want to hear about those women. Mm. And then it might have been nice to take it a step further and been like, okay, the sister of that woman or the brother of that woman okay. and how what they've noticed and how it's changed their opinion. You know, because it, although there is science to back up everything about, why it needs to take place and what the parameters are because of the science and the facts. It's it's good to get opinions out there too because that's kind of what's separating everyone. It's mm. not the science that's separating everyone. It's the opinions that are separating everyone, I feel. Well, I know that's kind of like, oh, but science is an opinion to some extent. But Right. I, I will say really briefly what was interesting is it, it focused on – the manipulation from the opponents of away from the facts and the science and and kind of manipulating the statistics or reality of the situation in some ways and really more of an emotional argument too so and it can be a good study of that yeah you know like here's Here's someone coming at it from a religious perspective here's someone coming at it from a scientific here's someone coming at it from I have five children already or I can't have this child because my life will be at stake. Mm. You know, it's it's very interesting how they did it. So I recommend it for everyone, no matter what's, you know, where your opinion and belief falls. Excellent. And how do you rate that? Oh, probably an eight. Very cool. And that is Roe v. Wade on Netflix. And you had one other thing you wanted to talk about? Oh, yeah. So totally switching gears <laughs> is uh, my TV show, Always a Witch, season two. The first season was really fun and dark for a minute here and there, as witchcraft can be. The, but this season really focuses on the relationships between our main character, Carmen, and her friends, one of whom wants to become her student and learn witchcraft. A pirate from the past is brought to the future. Carmen is focused on saving her mom from being burnt at the stake in the past to bring her to the future where she can be safe. Uh, and there's, there's costs for that and whether or not she feels the cost is, you know, if it's going to work out for her. I love this season just a little bit more than the first season. And, you know, I look forward to more. For those who don't know about it, it's a time-traveling witch who's from uh, Spanish Inquisition time. It's, it's just, it's super cool. So you have to read the subtitles, but it's fantastic. I just, what, I love it. What language is it in, um, primarily? So that is in Spanish, and uh, it's taking place in Colombia. Okay. So Interesting, okay. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's stunning. And where did you, and how did you find this show? I think it's because, you know how Netflix is, and algorithms. You know, oh. uh, I had just finished watching Sabrina the Teenage Witch season two. Okay. And then it said, oh, you might like this. And uh, I saw the trailer for it and it just looks really good. But like, obviously, I have to be not wanting to multitask in order to watch it. Gotcha. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, and the premise sounds totally up your alley. Oh, my too. God. It's so fantastic. <laughs> Witches and time travel and breaking away from slavery. Oh, my God. So do you think it's a fair recommendation if someone loves the chilling adventures of Sabrina, this is a good natural fit for them? I think so, because 
it's showing a different element of witchcraft. I, I'm not really sure how this witchcraft law is, uh -huh. but it's definitely different from Sabrina. I always forget that Sabrina, at least in the first season, is technically a satanic witch. Right. So this is something a little more interesting, and I'm not really sure where the roots of this witchcraft is. I think it's it's hereditary only. Hmm. So uh, taking place in Colombia, one last question, I swear. Yeah. Um, taking place in Colombia, does it have a lot of the Colombian culture in, reflected in it? Because I am not from Colombia and have never been exposed to Colombian culture to such an extent, I'm not actually able to give the best answer to that. But I can tell you that there's things that, you know, the characters are doing mm -hmm. that, you know, you don't see in American life or South African life. Mm -hmm. And uh, the way they, at least how the language is translated is very different to how, you know, traditional English is spoken. So it's, it's really fun in that way. Cool. All right. Well, I hope people check it out. It's Always a Witch on Netflix. All right, so you and I had a few things that we caught up with. A lot of movies from last year, late last year, that we finally caught up with that were available to rent. The first one we should talk about is Dr. Sleep. Now, for those who don't know, oh, this yeah. is... Apparently, Stephen King wrote a sequel a few years ago to The Shining, which is, of course, one of his most famous and seminal novels. It also had a film adaptation, uh, which is directed by Stanley Kubrick, came out in 1980. Shanna, you're a huge fan of that film adaptation. I've never read the book, correct? I cannot read Stephen King, mm. but I'll try to watch his stuff as best I can. Gotcha. So this movie is kind of a sequel to both things, interestingly enough. It stars Ewing McGregor as a grown-up Danny Torrance. And he's kind of trying to live his own life, having sobered up from a lot of the issues he's discovered he has from both his father, Jack Torrance, and from the experiences he had. And he discovers or gets, gets contacted by another teenager or tweenager who is also Shining, who has similar abilities to her and it, or to him. And it turns out her life may be in grave danger because of a group of individuals who are hunting the shine led by Rebecca Ferguson. All right, Shanna. So you're probably the biggest fan of The Shining in general between the two of us. I am not so much a fan of it as, as I don't know what's wrong with you. Most people talk to us about your opinions on Dr. Sleep and even your experience coming into it. So I love The Shining. I admit, I am going to sometimes watch it on mute, depending on, you know, w what level I'm at. I don't do very well with paranormal. Mm. And that includes spirits and demons mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult for me. But I like The Shining. Okay. I like the characters. I like the performances. I like the story. I'm not ashamed to say that. And so coming into Dr. Sleep, I knew I wanted to watch it, but I was also worried about how I was going to watch it. Was I going to need to watch it on mute? Was I going to need to look away? And mostly I was fine, but I did. it did take me till 3 a.m. to fall asleep. So, uh, you know, I like, I like this movie. There's difficult times in it, 
because obviously this group of people that take the shining away from other people in order to live eternally or rather a long time uh, they're after children so it can be really difficult there are some nice parallels though about you know well you could compare this to human trafficking you could compare this to child slavery so it's I think it's really interesting I love the visual effects and tricks that they came up with and I love the performances I love the main characters so Danny uh, what is the girl's name I, I don't, don't have know, that right in front but of me. I love her uh, I also love the villains I I thought it was it was really really cool I will briefly say that I was pleasantly surprised by this movie, even though within the first five minutes, it definitely puts me on edge and I'm not sure what I'm in for and how badly things are going to get. However, what I typically find with horror films is what I'm anticipating what's in my head is worse than what ends up being on screen. I think maybe it chapter two is maybe the only other exception to that, but this is, it's both a, a accessible horror film, much more accessible than Stanley Kubrick's film, I think, but also being kind of true to what came before. My only criticism of the film is sometimes, well, A, it's a little predictable. I, I called what was going to happen at the end of the film probably within a half hour, 45 minutes of the film. Uh-huh. And also it does get a little bit fan servicey where it's like, okay, we got to make sure we show this iconic moment or call back this iconic moment from the original film and this iconic moment or character. Aside from those things, I think this is actually a really entertaining and, and really good solid film. I enjoyed quite a bit. And so I give the film a 7 out of 10. How about you, Shanna? Oh, I, I agree with that. I think that's fair. All right. The next film that we caught up with was Paul Feig's Last Christmas. We're fans of Paul Feig. He's the director of such films as Bridesmaids, The Heat, Ghostbusters, one of Shanna's favorite Woo-hoo! movies, and many more. I think he did A Simple Favor two years ago. And this was, we're also fans of Amelia Clark, who stars in it as a kind of go-nowhere woman in London, I think it is, who uh, basically comes into contact with Henry Golding, this mysterious stranger, and starts kind of a relationship with him in the Christmas time uh, period. She works at a a year-round Christmas store, which is interesting. I love that concept. And who is it that owns, who plays the owner of that store? Well, she's also in Crazy Rich Asians. There's two characters. Oh, yes, Michelle Yeoh. Two actors in here that are in Crazy Rich Asians. Who never have seen together. But it is... No! Michelle Yeoh, (laughs) for clarity, is is that. So it has a really good cast. But Shanna, what did you think of Last Christmas... Does it, is it up there with Bridesmaids or any of other uh, his other work? Oh, no. I thought it was a pretty creative story. I, I just felt like it was lacking something. Maybe it was, it was lacking from performances or casting. I'm not really sure. I, I felt like the story was pretty cool, yeah. uh, especially, you know, how it evolves. But I just felt like something was missing yeah, I agree. I something was definitely missing. How I will say, first of all, 
This movie makes me want to see more Amelia Clark on screen. I want her to get more TV work because um, there is something about her and the camera that, like, they, she is just so charismatic. The camera loves her, and she's great. I like Henry Golding as well. Love seeing him. But there is something lacking in in this movie that you I have never experienced in any other Paul Feig films. I uh, though up to this point, I think like the Heat and Ghostbusters were his worst quote unquote worst films in the sense that they weren't they didn't measure up to Bridesmaids and uh, there's another movie of his I'm forgetting right now that's really up top tier too. Right now, like Last Christmas is even worse than that because not only is there something lacking in in the in the direction of the film, but also the ending, which I won't go into a spoil, it just kind of lands with a thud, and it doesn't it doesn't quite work mm-hmm. for me. I think I was okay with the ending. Yeah, wasn't I? I was okay with it. Okay, but it was it was other stuff that I had a problem with. Like I didn't. I, I look. I could be completely wrong, but I don't think there's anything Polish about Amelia Clark and who was her mother. Oh gosh, who played her mother? Oh, that was another thing. Yes, that mm. was a great uh, point too. Emma Thompson is in this movie, horribly miscast. She, she doesn't strike me as Polish. No, in no, any no, way. no, 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 no. So what Shanna's trying to explain is that Emma Thompson plays this immigrant mother. Who's like, I, th- I think you're right. I think she's Polish, if I remember correctly. And she has this thick accent and everything. And it is cringeworthy. Like, they would have been much better off if they actually cast an unknown in that role who actually maybe was a little more authentic. Well, and why wouldn't she? I Like, I just don't get it. It's, it is, I forgot about that aspect of it. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> uh, it is, it is something worth forgetting, but it is one of the things that really hurts the film, too. Yeah, and don't, you know, don't misinterpret me. I love any story with immigrants and, and what they're going through, but this just, this just, I just. I, I mostly agree with you. I, I don't, I don't want to say that someone can't have have the talent enough to pull off this somewhat comedic role but emma thompson was not it if you want to see a good emma thompson performance from last year go check out the underseen late night which is actually really good actually overall that's a much better recommendation than last christmas i would say i gave that movie a five out of ten you shanna hmm yeah, I'm going to go with a four. A four? Ooh, yeah. worse. All right. All right. So we have a couple more things that we saw and we wanted to talk about. Squeeze in here. The next is Queen and Slim, which was a highly anticipated movie for us, starring Daniel Kaluuya and Jodie Turner-Smith, who accidentally on their date, they, they get pulled over by a cop, the the cop is a little more abrasive than he really needs to be. It leads to an altercation where the cop gets shot and killed, and then they are on the run across I'm country. I'm going to switch your word from abrasive to straight up racist because it is proven later that he is. Okay. Okay. On the run across country to Florida with the hopes of flying out of country, essentially. Shannon, what did you think of this film? 
I liked it. Um, I thought the ending was very effective. I loved the performances. I loved the cinematography, the lighting, the set design, the costuming. Mm. I, I liked the interactions of the characters that they that they had along the way. And I like the ripple effect that Queen and Slim caused. Socially, you mean? Yeah. There's some who see them as heroes and protest or such. Yeah, yeah. Some people are behind them 100% because they see the uh, racist cop for what he is. And they're behind them 100%. And then there are others who are not. And it's just interesting to see what happens. Because you're not only seeing how this is affecting Queen and Slim. You're, you're seeing the effects that the characters are causing, not only on family members, but also on, you know, um, a youth, an African-American youth. And what's interesting is that leads to you seeing how African-American policemen are dealing with their ripple effects uh, differently. And so there's a lot of different people being represented and you're seeing how they're interacting sorry reacting to every to what these two characters did and that's why i like it as well as the ending so i think a lot of what you i agree with a lot of what you're saying i will also say that daniel kaluuya is really solid in this film as he has been in every film that i have seen him in since get out and then maybe there's a movie before that that he was in I think there's some nice surprises by some uh, some cast members that I didn't know was in the film that pop up, which is kind of nice. But I was largely disappointed by this film. It was it seemed like based on the trailer, this was something that was going to be really powerful and really effective. Uh, obviously, it's it was also going to be very timely. Um, very relevant but i really feel like this thing is written by lena Waite, who i love she's co-starred in that netflix show masters of none she's fantastic melina matsukas is the director here's 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 my problem first of all I did not like Jodie Turner-Smith's character very much. I thought, like, she's, in in some major ways, she's the reason why they're in the mess that they're in. She's very, she's got such an, um, an uh, unlikable attitude. Um, there's a lot of times where Slim is reacting to Queen. I'm like, yeah, what the hell? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, she kind of drives me nuts a lot of the times in the movie. And she's supposed to be, like, this really intelligent this lawyer uh, character and everything, and she just did not behave in the ways that were consistent with who she was supposed to be. And then on top of that, I can't talk about it in detail, but the the ending I, I found was just absolutely not ridiculous, but abs- not absurd, mm, unlikely, in- incredibly unlikely in the way that it was executed. I found myself rolling my eyes at the end of this film. And so overall, even though you're right, like on a lot of the things that you're talking about, I agree with the cinematography and everything is, is beautiful. And some of the performances were great in it. 
I found the film overall to be uh, to not live up to its potential and to be a great disappointment. I I have to disagree with you about her behavior. Yes, she's a lawyer, but she also just had to see one of her clients be killed on death row that day. Mm -hmm. So I completely, I think her behavior is spot on. I think she's done. I think she's tired. I think she feels like she knows how the system works, even though she's there to academically, lawfully fight the system and try and change it. I can understand that she's at her wit's end. And I, I will just say, like, all of that that you explain is kind of given lip service and is fairly thin as it's presented in the film. Uh, so it didn't, it just didn't You work. wish that it had a little bit more? It, it, yeah, it just did okay. not, it that's just fair. didn't work for me. So that's, that's Queen and Slim, a movie that we had disagreed on quite a bit. I so gave it much fun. a 5 <laughs> out of 10. And how much uh, would you score? I would give it a 7. A 7 out of 10. All yeah. right. And lastly... We, I believe lastly, if I look at the show notes here, yes, we saw, we finally caught up with Brie Larson's film from, was it last year or the year before? Unicorn Store. It is Brie Larson's directorial debut. Uh, she stars in the film as well, and I think she might have written it, if I'm not mistaken, too. She stars as this young woman who's kind of listless and not necessarily going anywhere with her life and her parents are very sweetly kindly trying to nudge her out of the house into the world and and get a get a, a path forward in her life the parents played by Joan Cusack and Bradley Whitford that's and, a great parent casting yeah she gets yeah. Uh, invited to check out this store which seems to be owned by Samuel L. Jackson and she has an opportunity to earn a unicorn of her very own. Cheryl, what did you think of Unicorn Store? We are, of course, fans of Brie Larson. Did this measure up to your expectations of Brie and her talent? I wasn't really, I didn't have any expectations for this movie. I wasn't really sure what I was, what to expect. Mm -hmm. I was just like, well, this looks like a happy piece of work. And that's, I guess... That was my expectation, and I guess it, it fulfilled it. Because what I get from this film is that it's a really, it's a personal project. It feels like a personal project. It feels like if you had to go with your passion and just keep going forward in life with it, I feel like this is what what it would look like. Uh-huh. And I, I really liked how it was presented. I loved the enormous amount of glitter, the shaved foil bits of foil flying around. I loved all the... the I, I've never really been a unicorn person. I'm definitely not a horse person. But I liked how it was shown here. And I liked that this was her passion and the character's really cool. And she's just... You know, she's just having a hard time. We all have a hard time mm. if our passion can't work out into a field of work that pays you know i was fairly disappointed by this i i did come into it a not knowing ex- having an understanding of what it was about but that understanding being completely different from what it was what it was actually about my 
all I cared about really was that this was Brie Larson's directorial debut and and uh, her latest latest quote unquote film. I wanted to check out what she was capable of as a director and and what she had to offer. I think it's a very capable movie. I don't think like her as a director per se, as a filmmaker, uh, I, I think you know was lacking. I think that she shows promise. I think this is a a stepping stone film at best. I think this is a place to build on top of as a filmmaker and storyteller. I didn't think the story itself was nearly as compelling, uplifting, or enjoyable as it clearly intended to be. Mm. I was I found myself having a hard time getting really engaged with this uh, this journey that this character goes on and whether or not what's happening is real or in her mind. I'm not I and I wasn't necessarily sold with the final resolution of the film which i won't give away here but it just it just overall just did not work for me and it kind of just sat there in a lot of ways uh so uh, disappointing considering you know how much of a talent brie larson is so i gave the film a five out of ten also how about you shanna and uh, I would do like a, a six out of ten. I, I wasn't mad at this film. I just thought it was a nice entertainment piece, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. So to to recap, we're big fans of Doctor Sleep, not so much fans of Last Christmas. We split on Queen and Slim. Shanna liked it. I did not, and we just slightly split on Unicorn Store. Shanna liked it a little bit more than I did. And that concludes our week in review. And it's time for us to get into the main event, which is our review of Netflix's Horse Girl. Happy birthday. So what are you going to do tonight to celebrate? Mm, I think probably I'll just go out with some friends from my Zumba class. You deserve to have fun. How have you been? I've been good. I've been going by to see mom and going to see my horse. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Sarah. Hey. Brian's new roommate is single. Hi. Uh, I'm Darren. I really like your dress. I like your shirt. There's something so exciting about you. You're a lot of fun. You deserve to have fun. You're a... Are you okay? I can hear the future. Kara? You're just really scared. You're safe, I promise you. This is crazy. Nothing makes sense. Nothing makes sense. Seriously. I know that it sounds crazy, okay? I know it sounds really crazy, but it just feels really real. And that's from the trailer to Horse Girl, which stars Allison Brie, Molly Shannon, Robin Tunney, Matthew Gray Goobler, Debbie Ryan, and Aaron Stanford. The premise on 
IMDb is Sarah, a socially isolated woman with a fondness for arts and crafts, horses, and supernatural crime shows, finds her increasingly lucid dreams trickling into her waking life. This is directed by Jeff Baina and co-written with him and Allison Brie. When we review a film, we like to first focus on the good, what we liked about a movie, before moving on to the bad, what sucked about a movie, and then maybe have some discussion with spoilers and final thoughts. Shanna, let's start with the good. What did you like most about Horse Girl? What worked for you about this film? And, of course, talk a little bit about your history with Allison Brie going into this film. So I I love Alison Brie. I I like her performances. My favorite show that she's in is Glow. I like her mm. in Glow more than I like her in Community, but I like really? her nonetheless. Okay. It's it's just Glow. She's more mature. She's after bigger things. It's it's really cool, you know. Fair enough. I really liked her performance in this movie. I thought that her performance was really good. I was intrigued by the character she played. I loved the cinematography and the camera tricks and I guess the, the, the texture that the film had. Uh, I loved that it was, you know, she's this, she works at a craft store and I loved seeing her in this craft store because that's where I spent, spend a lot of my time is at craft stores. Okay. Before the pandemic, <laughs> you know, like I'm there at least once every week or every other week checking out things. And so it was just really nice. And I thought that she had the character down really well in that part of the, the story. And I, I thought it was, it was always interesting and curious, whatever, you know, however the story was unfolding so i enjoyed that okay how about you well i think allison brie is one of the most interesting actresses working today i've followed her since mad men which was probably her biggest her her first big break Uh, you know mad men community of course, Glow. I think she was in a couple other movies along the way. I had seen uh, a big fan of her in general. I think she, what's interesting, what's cool about her is she makes really interesting choices in the roles that she plays. None of her characters are typical or none of, none of them are one-dimensional. None of them are tropes or anything of any kind. They're all very interesting and sometimes very like fully layered, well-rounded individuals that feel like individuals, not so much characters. I think the fact that she she co-wrote and, and you know took on this project it also speaks to how interesting she is as an actress. She is probably the biggest strength of the film for me. It's interesting seeing who else pops up in the movie. Mm. But I would never say so-and-so is a strength of the film. No other co-star is what makes the movie worth watching, is a strength of the film, is is something that stands out as stellar about the movie. Mm. The movie really is, like, above and all, it's all about Alison Brie's character. 
right? It's in, and often it's subjective too, from her subjective experience. But uh, yeah, I, I have a lot, so much other stuff to say about this. Maybe also in spoilers. But let's let's uh, let's move on. What what didn't you like about the movie? What was the bad? What didn't work for you? I didn't like when it kind the story kind of spun out of control. Like, I think there were a lot of fantastical elements, not a lot, but there were fantastical elements about the movie. Um, like her imagination would kick in mm-hmm. or she would try to figure something out and it would look it would look really cool and interesting. But then it started going out of control very quickly. It, I felt like there wasn't enough information Maybe I needed to be spoon-fed a little more. I, I don't know. But I felt like there were elements that were missing uh, that influenced my experience with the film. Well, I hope you explain a little bit further when we get into spoilers on, on some of that. That might be an interesting thing to explore. I think this is just a weird fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, and maybe that's all it is, you know, as it's just a weird movie. Well, I, I, it <laughs> it posits that it is something more, or at least it, it, it postures, I should say, that it's something more. And we we landed on this movie, by the way, because it, you know Netflix really hadn't dropped any movies since February. At least, I mean, like if if there were anything, nothing that really stood out as a marquee type film that you know it, it really kind of put in the forefront for your attention and trying to get people to to check out nothing with the star power or anything like that and hulu didn't really have anything original content and original movies to to check out and amazon prime was just pushing all its theatrical re- uh, releases that it had um, through Amazon Studios. So, but I don't think that there's been anything on HBO recently. Right. They haven't had any original movies either, and we we're trying to find something that did not have a theatrical experience that was a direct-to-streaming offering. So this you know, came out in February, and so we were like, okay, we'll check it out. We love Alison Brie, so let's do that. But this is, this is a bizarre movie, and it was... Uh, unsettling at times because I wasn't sure where we were going with it more than anything else. It, I, and I don't know, I don't know to what if there was any parts. Usually, if a movie's like really unsettling, I'm I'm really like unsettled about like how violent it's about to be, you know, and sudden with its violence. And I don't think I necessarily felt that with this film, although there were certain times where she just spirals, and you're kind of wondering is she going to snap and stab somebody? And I half expected that in some scenes, but it does get really weird. And I was left at the end wondering, like, is this a movie about mental illness? Is this a movie about family history? Is it about is it a movie about loneliness? Is it just a weird sci-fi movie? And I was really kind of wrestling with that um, during the course of the film. And I kind of have an answer in the spoilers about that. But uh, not once. Like, I think the movie's trying to make you think, oh, like, some of this may be some of the things that she's experiencing might be actually real or some of the things that she's thinking, I should say, might actually have validity to it. And not once did I believe a single thing she was saying must be true or has validity. Like it all felt artificial or all in her head uh, to me. And, and I can't really talk any more about that <laughs> without getting into spoilers. But that was kind of like the feelings I was left with. 
throughout the film as, as it ramped up uh, to the, the final third. Yeah, I have to say, you know, when, when the film looked like it was trying to be something about mental illness, I was, I was pretty excited because I was like, oh, we're going to see something really interesting, an interesting take on mental illness. There isn't enough Me too, yeah. mental illness films out there that kind of have this format, but then it kind of gets a little convoluted. I totally agree with that. I, I actually, thanks for saying that because I actually felt the same way. I was like, oh, as a metaphor of mental illness so far in the first third or so, this is very interesting because I will say, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler at this point. I think it's within the first 20 minutes. She gets like asked by her roommate, oh, hey, this guy I'm seeing has another roommate or a brother or whatever. Like, do you want us to, to get together sometime? I could hook you up. And like, there's this look that Allison Brie gives mm-hmm. where she's like, reserve she's like very reluctant she's like it's like she's lonely but she's reluctant to put herself out there to meet somebody else you know and what there's so much packed in this simple three to five second look about that character uh, which again speaks to the talent of alice and brie but it does also lead me to think oh this movie is going to be about the effects of loneliness and i and isolation yeah and it doesn't it doesn't quite pay off in that regard. Shall we get into spoilers? Oh yeah, I think we can move on into there. Okay, so let's give some final thoughts for uh, or, or some thoughts, concluding thoughts for those who haven't seen the film, in terms of whether or not the good outweighs the bad, and what your score is on the film. I don't know. I don't know if the good outweighs the bad. I don't know if the bad is a lot or if it's minimal and I'm just angry at the direction the film took I my feelings are I just don't know Ray well it doesn't sound good it doesn't sound good that's for sure what would you rate the film out of 10 I I don't know given (laughs) given my uncertainty and that's what's affecting the score I'd put it at a a cool four because I'm uncertain I've considered watching it again but i don't know if we'll get there i i i find that interesting i find that interesting because as much as many problems as i have with the film i think i would give the film a six out of ten as a it's 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 fine it's it's good it's not exceptional it's nothing great don't go into it with uh, high expectations if you're a fan of allison brie and you're interested in seeing all the different choices she makes in her career, then check this out. But with great reservations and and some caveats to the journey that you will be going on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm very, very, very mixed on this film. Let's talk about why more in spoilers. If you haven't seen the film, Horse Girl, jump ahead in the timestamp on the show notes to film faves. Because from here on out, we're going to spoil Netflix's Horse Girl. Okay, Shanna, explain a little bit more about what you were saying earlier about the different elements of the movie. Well, you know, I like the character. Like, I can relate to her on some level. I like crafting. I like multitasking with crafting while watching a favorite show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just, there's certain things that I really like about her 
obviously she's suffered a traumatic event and she's trying to heal from that and to what extent i don't know do we learn what that traumatic event was we don't we're led to believe that she was somehow involved with another person getting injured on a horse whether it an involvement wise oh you were riding together or you were her teacher right right we don't know we don't have enough information and that's one of the things that drives me crazy about this movie because i feel like i'd be better if i had just a little more information about every element so yeah to fill in the gaps there a little bit we know that something happened that led to a serious injury of someone that she was at the very least in charge of on a on a what do you you call it uh, where people learn how to uh, ride horses equestrian training equestrian class very good but whatever happened was such that anybody who works with her does not have any trust or any respect for her and just tolerates her but like not like enough fear to get her banned from the property right you know but also uh, whatever happened was such that the parents of that girl trust her and hold no ill will to her and like she's she's this girl's social outlet they go on walks together so we never see what exactly happened, but it's clearly one of those things where there's two sides to the incident. Or three. Because there just there isn't enough information and, and both all the parties are responding very differently. Yeah. So, look, like horse accidents happen. They're an awful thing, but they happen. Yeah. And so, I, I don't know, maybe people who are in the equestrian line of life would be able to, you know, really hone in and say, oh, this is probably what happened more definitively than we can. And maybe they'd even actually be able to uh, have affection for this film or uh, uh, relate to this film in some ways because of that element of the story. But this incident in particular is what you're referring to previously? Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously there's a traumatic event and that seems to change her. Or maybe she's always been like this. But it feels like it's due to a traumatic event. Uh-huh. So, you know, like the, the person she works with at the craft store says, you deserve to be happy. You know, it's her birthday. She wants to go out with people from Zumba class, she says. Uh, whether that's true or not, I don't know. She doesn't even ask anyone at Zumba class, does anyone want to join me? So at times it feels like, Oh, you know, sometimes I can relate to that. Like, I, I want to go out with people, but I don't want to go out with people. Well, she awkwardly know? approaches the instructor. Yeah. So that's like one element of it that I wish I had more information on. And then the other element is like, she's obsessed with her TV shows. And, you know, we can relate to that. But it starts messing with her. Mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to an unhealthy place. Yes. And if her mother had, you know, we, we learned that her mother and grandmother have mental illnesses that, that were their undoing. Like, you'd think she'd have a, a regular therapist or something. Okay. And so I feel like there's certain things that are happening here that I just don't understand. And well, I don't know enough about mental illness. I, I mean, but, like, it's not like... 
just because you have a family history of mental illness, the state or the county or the city is going to automatically pay for you to have. Um, okay, that's fair. That's uh, fair. Mental, it's, a, it's an investment. You know, therapy. So it's possible that's that she, fair. you know, she's slipping through the cracks because she can't afford the help. And also, honestly, anytime that she, it's suggested that she sees someone, she uh, runs the other way. Oh, you're right. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm just babbling just because it's difficult. This film is difficult for me. So elements that I liked about it was like, you know, you've got this incorporation of the peach fabric and the peach fabric is being used in all these different ways. You're talking about the color. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, and we see that fabric all the time once it's introduced to us by the, I guess, uh, Reiki fortune teller mm-hmm. person that comes into the store. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like watching her use the fabric. Okay, it says curtains and now it says... A protective suit and then it's something else and mm. then it's to protect myself from when I find myself in the store naked you know so it's I f- like I love that element and there's a couple other ones but it just all didn't merge well together I guess I think that is a good way to describe the movie as a whole my biggest issue is it with it is the third act she's so she to establish she essentially thinks that she is at the very least a clone created by aliens. She has dreams that include people she has never met before in her life that she eventually comes into contact with. And she comes up with like this hysterically paranoid story that that she's being listened to, listened in on, I should say. She does suffer from basically waking up in places that she doesn't remember going to or anything like that. She'll just wake up in, into strange locations and stuff. And so she thinks she's being abducted and all these sorts of things. These are things that when I say it out loud, it may sound like what she's thinking is likely, but as it's presented in the film, like her theories, her behaviors are not stable and her behaviors I'm sold more on her instability than the notion that what she thinks is happening is accurate. And so I'm thinking like the entire time, Oh, this is still some sort of a metaphor for, or trying to be a metaphor for something um, having to do with mental illness or isolation. But the movie ends on this very certain note that everything she's been saying is true, which I didn't buy for a second. And it, it, to me, it was like, well, you just tossed everything interesting about this movie out the window in service of being just a weird sci-fi film. I think you bring up a good point. However, I had a different experience for at least a few minutes for the first part of what she was investigating and connecting, I was on her side, Hmm. you know, Why do you think that was? Well, because I can, you know, depending on your belief system, like I do believe in her, um, uh, what is it called? Inherited DNA, inherited problems from your previous generations. Yes. I do believe in that. Sure. But And so I felt like, oh, maybe they're taking that idea and they're just like cranking it up to 11, you know? Yeah. Um, but then they kind of went way over to like 
I don't know, 19. They cranked it up to 19. Well, in the sense and that it's not that she's inherited it's that she is yeah. her grandma. And it's probably it's probably just inherited DNA and... Which is really weird because it's suggesting she gave birth to her mom and her mom gave birth to her. And it's this weird-ass cycle. Oh, but you can also talk about... Um, so I don't know what the scientific term is for it, but it is scientific where... Uh, so me, I will have... I have a piece of my grandmother and my daughter will have a piece of my mother. Right. It's got something to do with that. That's ancestry and heritage. Yeah. But it's like in the lining of the uterus and stuff like that. Oh. Yeah. It's something really. I was thinking DNA, but okay. Well, there's DNA, but there's something really specific too uh, if you're a woman. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they're playing with that too and they're cranking that up to 19. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I, I, I kind of did uh, kind of what you're talking about, and it just didn't it didn't work for me. Yeah, so I feel like a few threads are missing. Like, you've got these, you, you, you're coming up with a good story, right? You're like, mm. I want to work on this idea, I want to amplify that, I want to amplify that, let's crank this up to 19. But you need to have a thread going between the two to, to mesh it together, you mm. know? And I feel like they missed it a little bit too. And maybe the whole alien abduction was what they felt their their ticket out of any questions was. That, 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 like that was their answer. Mm. You know, well, it's an alien abduction. We can do whatever. So, yeah, I don't um, know. I feel like the more I'm talking about this movie, the more I hate it. <laughs> actually, I don't know. Like maybe maybe I would give it actually then, a five out of ten. Then maybe you can actually relate to my conflicted feelings about it. Yeah. I, I think it's because... Th- there's such nice visuals. There's such nice elements. There's such great performances. You were taken and with then, the visuals, yeah. And then story-wise, it, it has these, these very sunken moments. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about the movie? I don't think so. I, I'd like to revisit it another time in my life maybe and see if I pick up on something else. I would be interested in hearing from people who battle with mental illness and I'd be interested in hearing from people who are in the equestrian line. And we would be interested in hearing from anyone who has seen this movie to hear what you thought about it. Feel free to email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. And now it's time for Film Faves. Film Faves is our segment inspired by a former segment of the blog, wherein we count down our respective lists of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, sometimes marching backwards through time. The idea behind doing this is to not only give you an idea of our tastes in movies, but also to hopefully expose you to movies that you haven't heard of or caught up before. Now, to that end, what we try to do is, when possible, tell you when a particular movie is available on a streaming subscription service. Uh, We focus on Netflix, Hulu, HBO Now, Disney Plus, and Amazon Prime. Not every movie is available on those streaming services. Sometimes movies are available on uh, Amazon to rent instead, but when they are available on those services, we will let you know. Now, as far as this episode, one of the things about film phase is we usually always focus on the movies that were theatrically released in the United States, be it limited release or wide release. At the very least, it had to have been a limited release in the United States. But 
in this episode, since we're all stuck at home, it seemed like a perfect opportunity to talk about those movies we never get to talk about that are our favorites. Those that were made for TV, maybe made for ABC or NBC or something like that during the 80s and 90s. Those movies that were made for cable, like HBO. Movies that were made for direct-to-video or movies that were made for streaming. Uh, Netflix is kind of a, a primary purveyor of this. Now, the only thing is they have some movies that went to theater as well as to Netflix. So such movies as Marriage Story and The Irishman and uh, several others of theirs that are original films by Netflix will not qualify for this list but they push out so much content both original movies and shows that certainly there's going to be plenty of movies for us to have drawn from shanna why don't you get us started by talking about a little bit about building this list what did you have a healthy mix of all the different sources streaming video uh, cable tv was there any challenges you ran into what was your experience building this list and segue into your number 12 favorite for us yeah so i'm a big fan of hbo so there's a few hbo in here there's a lot of netflix and then there's a couple straight to dvd video vhs in here you know it looks like my oldest one is from 1992 okay my most there's a lot from 2018 because let's be honest they've been pushing out some really good stuff places like netflix and hbo recently and this is something uh, a topic that you've been looking forward to yes doing as i have been looking forward to this thank you very much (laughs) i will take the podium now forever (laughs) i'm a huge fan of these movies and so i'm really excited that we finally have some way to put them excellent so what is your 12th favorite non-theatrical movie My 12th favorite is Confirmation, available on HBO from 2016, starring Kerry Washington, Wendell Price, and Craig Keener. This is the story about Anita Hill coming forward with her uh, sexual harassment allegations allegations towards judge clarence thomas uh during his nomination of the united states supreme court uh a brilliant time to come forward because you're you know he's stepping into a high leadership role uh in charge of a lot of important things in the country and no he shouldn't because of what he's done to her you know my my favorite part of that whole story is this was i think this was a little bit before where are we which year are we 2016 so it's either just before or just as me too is coming about yeah that was uh 2017 okay so it's a year before and i i love carrie washington i'm a huge fan of her her performance was awesome in this and it, it just her character anita hill her portrayal of anita hill is just wonderful very calm very precise and sticking to the facts excellent so that's confirmation on HBO. Awesome. I tried to get a mix of TV movies, direct-to-video movies, uh, and made for cable movies and direct-to-streaming films as well. It was a little tough, and I noticed any movie that I loved that was a TV movie, you can't find anywhere these days. So 
There, I, there was only a couple of those that made it onto my list, but I'm going to start off my list with a recent discovery, which was 2017's Okja by Bon Joon Ho. It was made for Netflix. It's available on Netflix, and it's this kind of... I don't want to say, go so far as to say it's a vegetarian allegory or anything, but it's certainly a film that is very conscious about commercial food processing let's say it is about a girl who's grown up with this so-called super pig which is this thing that is about eight feet tall and in on standing on four legs and probably 10 feet long or something it's it's very very big uh, gentle creature that she has befriended as she's grown up and it, it turns out is one of supposedly 23 super pigs that have been grown for the period of 10 years as part of a competition to figure to see who is the most super of pigs and and all that sort of stuff this is a movie that was in both ways not what i was expecting and what i was expecting it's a lot more fun than i was expecting but it also has some of the brutality that is, its reputation proceeds bon joon ho he just made parasite last year great film director i highly recommend it it is okja on netflix my number 11 is to the bone Available on Netflix from 2017, a young woman dealing with anorexia meets an unconventional doctor who challenges her to face her condition and embrace life. This stars Rebecca Kennedy, Lily Collins. Uh, we've got some Keanu Reeves happening in here. He's the doctor that's revealed in the trailer, I'm pretty sure. Any kind of eating disorder is is, is terribly tricky and terribly well, complex because it's not it's not simply about the food it's there's so many other factors influencing it and so uh it, it can be difficult to understand if you haven't battled with it yourself in one form or another whether it's bulimia or or anorexia mm -hmm. so this I found that this film was really good at telling that story and the act, and the performances were really great and the story was was super interesting because it it does dive into the elements that probably have influenced this character as to why she's anorexic and I really appreciated that because I do think it's things that we we don't talk enough about so I I really think that it's wonderful that Netflix tries to tackle things like that with good storytelling very cool and that's to the bone on netflix my next pick my number 11 favorite non-theatrical movie is from 1994 it's an hbo original movie it's called the tuskegee airmen a movie oh, i love that oh very cool yeah. a movie that ever since i saw it as a t teenager i always loved but i hadn't seen in a very long time seeing it now it's a it's a very good movie it still moves me at the end. It's basically about uh, one bomb, not bomber unit, one pilot unit mm -hmm. in World War II that is all African-American. It's about the, about this program, the Tuskegee program. It stars Lawrence Fishburne, Malcolm Jamal Warner, Cuba Gooding Jr., pre-Jerry Maguire, Cuba Gooding Jr., 
and many others. Uh, Courtney B. Vance, John Lithgow stars in it. Chris O'Donnell, or Chris McDonnell, sorry, not O'Donnell. Chris McDonnell playing an asshole once again. Um, and it's it's a, a pretty good his, uh, account of the challenges that African Americans went through while trying to be heroes who serve their country and, and try to do their part in World War II. Um, and it is worth checking out. It is on HBO now. The Tuskegee Airmen from 1994. My number 10 is Okja. Oh, it is? Oh, yeah. very cool. So as Jeff said, it's available on Netflix, one of Bong Joon-ho's movies. And, you know, Jeff said a lot about this. So what I will say, what I liked about this film is it does make you feel, but it does give you some relief. I am a meat eater. But I, I like to believe that um, the animals are taken care of before I get to eat them. Mm. So I love the story. I think it's great how they tell the story of uh, how a corporation can say one thing but do another. And, uh, you know, how you have these different groups fighting for uh, animal rights uh, it was quite magical. I don't think I've ever seen an animal rights activist group in a movie be quite so magical. So <laughs> I... Just I, I love the characters. The girl is one of the fiercest hero, heroines I've ever seen. Mm. And she is forever in my list now of heroines, as well as Okja. Very cool. And that group is led by Paul Dano. And <laughs> I think Lily Collins from Two to Bone is one of the members of oh, that group okay. as well. Oh, okay. That would make sense. Very cool. My number 10, my 10th favorite non-theatrical movie, is a recent one. It's from last year. It is Dolmite Is My Name, available on Netflix for Netflix. It starred Eddie Murphy and Wesley Snipes and many other, Titus Burgess and many other people. It is about a particular guy who was trying to make it as a comedian. He had a very uh, honest way about him. He created this character named Dolmite, even though he he was trying to be honest as a African American, kind of a no bullshit, you know, give no fucks kind of way about him. And he decided to make a movie. And most of the movie is about this, the film production of this movie. And it's surprisingly, it's surprisingly funny. And it ends with uh, another extra little. A layer to it that I really appreciate. It's a great entrepreneur film for those people who are just always like hitting their head against the wall and just trying to hang on. They can relate to several elements of this movie. It's a it's a lot of fun. I was very surprised by Dolmite is my name and is worth checking out on Netflix from last year. My number nine is Justice League versus Teen Titans from 2016. I believe that was a straight-to-video yep. category. It is available to stream on the DC channel. DC Tip Universe. DC Universe, I mean. But what DC Universe does real briefly is they, they'll have ABC movie and the next month they won't. And then two months later, they'll have it again. So mm. they kind of rotate their library for you. So this is a film about Robin, who's sent to work with the Teen Titans after his behavior botches up a Justice League mission. And then the Titans together have to face Trigon after he possesses the League and threatens to conquer the world. I, I particularly like this because of Raven. 
she's my favorite in this and I like seeing the Teen Titans as kids it's really nice to watch them go to the carnival and and not bring their weapons with them you know it's very interesting to see how teenagers having a hard time disconnecting from their work Mm. you know uh it's it's not something that i've thought about before and so i really appreciated it that you know uh, starfire was taking them on this little adventure and starfire is the adult of them um so it's not like teen titans go where it's it's kind of mixed Mm -hmm. Hmm. so that's what again uh, that's Justice League versus Teen Titans, and it's available on the DC Universe channel. All right, my next pick uh, is similar to Okja in that it does deal with the process of meat processing, or however you want to phrase that, less clumsily. Is it like livestock production? Is that what it is? Sure. It's called Temple Grandin. Oh, it's yeah. from 2010. It's on. It's an HBO original movie. And HBO Now is where you can find it right now. It stars Claire Danes as a real-life person named Temple Grandin who is autistic. And so her autism allows her to process things really quickly as she processes things visually. She can essentially her mind takes a picture of things so she can process and hold on to things very quickly and easily, a lot more easily than the average person. One of the things she that, has superpowers. Yeah, you can say that. <laughs> One of the things she ends up doing is creating a new process for making cattle be more humanely processed on ranches that that process them for meat. And it's 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 an extraordinary performance by Claire Danes. I just recently caught up with it for the first time, and I was she's not someone that I would have necessarily thought of for this role, and I was greatly impressed. She's transformative in it, and uh, incredible and it's a very well directed fascinating film as well in terms of getting the viewer to understand the autistic experience that temple uh, has so i highly recommend it it's a great film and it's my ninth favorite non-theatrical movie on hbo now temple grandin my number nine is one of my favorite childhood movies that went straight to vhs that I got to rent from Mr. Video Video Store is Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. And this has Simba's daughter. That's right, people. He had a daughter mm. until they retconned it. Daughter. Mm. Anyway, she's the key to the resolution of a bitter feud between Simba's pride and the outcast pride, led by the one who is the mate of Scar. So... I am a huge fan of this film. Mm. I love it dearly. It feels more African to me than the first one. Kiara is the daughter, and she her voice is Neve Campbell. Neve so, Campbell. I'm sorry, Neve Campbell. And it's just really fun to see well, what happens if it's a lioness that's going to be Queen of Pride Rock, you could say. And so it's really nice seeing her, and the, the music is really lovely. It's more African, I think, than the first uh, the first film. Huh. I just, I really love the banter between everyone, and th- they bring back a few talents. Like, they've got James Earl Jones for Mufasa's voice. They've got Nathan Lane for Timon. It's not like it's the worst film in the world. <laughs> okay. I really enjoy it. I think people should watch it if they're fans. 
of Lion King. And that is your eighth favorite non-theatrical movie? Yes. All right. So my eighth favorite non-theatrical movie is a TV movie that unfortunately is not available anywhere right now. It is an adaptation of a play by A.R. Gurney. It is written, the teleplay is written by A.R. Gurney, a play that uh, I always love. It's called Love Letters. It's from 1999. I think it was an ABC original movie. And it stars Steven Weber and Laura Linney. The entire play is through these collections of letters, these uh, written correspondence between two people who grew up together. And their on-again, off-again, non-platonic relationship as they grew up. Uh, it's... A touching film, a touching story. I love Stephen Weber and Laura Linney in this. There are some things that haven't aged well or, or work terribly well these days, so it's not a great film, but I do enjoy it quite a bit. And interestingly enough, it was directed by Stanley Donnan, who directed Seeing in the Rain and several other famous legendary film so uh that is an interesting curiosity about this film it's but um yeah i was always taken by the love story itself and the way that it's uh, it's told love letters is the name of this tv movie from 1999 my number seven is cargo from netflix oh, really? in 2017 so we spoke about this in the previous episode it's our epidemic episode yeah, that's right. Pa- epidemic, pandemic yeah. episode. Yeah. Uh, virus. So this stars Martin Freeman, and I'm a huge Martin Freeman fan. This film is about, is taking place after an epidemic spreads all over Australia, and Martin Freeman is trying to find someone to take care of his daughter. I like it because it's happening in a different place. We always see these movie, these zombie virus pandemic movies happening in america or uh, england in england and we never really see well what would it look like in a different country you know i'm pretty sure it would be absolutely horrifying in south africa because of the dense populations uh within the informal settlements but australia takes it uh, so opposite side of the spectrum you know into the outback where there's all this space and like can you escape it and uh, what does it look like if you have a zombie walking across, you know, that that plateau, that desert? And I just, I find, so I love the performances. I love that it's in a different country. It's very interesting to me. So that's Cargo on Netflix. All right. So my next film is another TV movie that I have seen off and on available to stream on a subscription service, but currently is not apparently it is from 1983. It is The Day After, which stars Jason Robard, Steve Gutenberg, and Joe Beth Williams. It's essentially about a nuclear holocaust oh. that, that affects a Midwestern town in Kansas. Very much a Cold War, you know, height of threat kind of movie. But I, I saw it, I don't think I've seen it since, but I saw it when I was in eighth grade and it just shook me to my core because granted it may not hold up effects-wise today, but back then in the mid-90s when I saw it, like it, it was very effective in showing what would actually happen if a town 
were exposed to a nuclear explosion, what happens to bodies and, and stuff like that, you know, I've, and all sorts of things and kind of the effects and survival afterwards. I, I remember it being a very powerful film and it was a TV movie that always uh, stuck with me. So if you ever have the opportunity if you, uh, to see it available to stream somewhere, even if you have to pay to rent it, I highly recommend you do so. That's The Day After from 1983. Is it more effective than Chernobyl? I could not. I doubt it, but I couldn't speak to it now because it's been 20 years since I've seen it. Okay. My next one, number six, is The Kindergarten Teacher on Netflix from 2018. A kindergarten teacher in New York becomes obsessed with one of her students whom she believes is a child prodigy, specifically in the poetry realm of things. Mm. Uh, This is starring Maggie Gyllenhaal and I love her performance. I love the cinematography in here. It's, it's, it's this, the description of, obs- it's from IMDb, obsessed with one of her students is definitely the right word here. It, at times, it's, it's, you don't know which direction the movie's going to go. And it's very creepy and uneasy, but you look at Maggie Gyllenhaal's face and you're like, oh, but she's so sweet. So you go, you kind of seesaw between, oh, this is so sweet and so nourishing to, oh my God, what is she going to do next? Right, yeah. So it's very unsettling. It's so unsettling, but I don't think I've seen another film that does that that well throughout the entire film. Yeah. You know, so that's why it's my favorite. That's an awesome pick. I know that was a movie that you've been wanting to include in something. For some time. So my sixth, we're at the halfway mark. Finally, my sixth favorite non-theatrical film is actually my one documentary on the list, I think. You have a documentary? That's great. I do. Yeah, you would think I would have more, but that ended up not being the case. This one is from 2010. It is a four and a half hour documentary. Not a series, not a limited series or anything like that. It is an actual, you know, full length documentary. And then some, it is Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. What? Yeah. The Do I need to step out of the room? No, no, no. Just, okay. I, I will say that I am not a diehard Elm Street franchise fan. I've only seen, uh, let's see, the original Elm Street, Freddy's Dead, Jason, Freddy vs. Jason. And I think that might be it. I've been wanting to see number three, The Dream Warriors so long and just have not been able to but and you weren't while i'm home fair enough (laughs) needless to say i'm not one of those people who've seen every single movie but it was fascinating going through this documentary which goes through the production of every single movie in the franchise and it has cast members from um, from the movies talking about the franchise and it and the experiences making it and even influences and everything that you could ever want in a documentary about the Elm Street franchise. It's fantastic. I love it. And it is there's just it's so meaty, you know, being as long as it is. I couldn't believe it was as long as it is. But um the, So did it engage you for the whole four yeah, hours? Yeah, yeah, that's what's oh. really cool. Is, that is it really doesn't cool. skim on the details and try to cut it down to two hours, two and a half hours, or whatever. It, it gives you everything, and it's very cool. So that's Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy from 2010. 
My number five is The Secret on Netflix from 2006. I watch this thing in the background. I watch it paying attention. I, it is, it's probably been played on our Netflix, like, I don't know, 35 times to 40. By you. By me. So The Secret is, it's from the writer Rhonda Byrne who talks about law of attraction, writes about law of attraction a lot. Mm -hmm. And so she interviews different authors, philosophers, scientists, uh, who kind of help people uh, get into visualization of goals and how important and uh, how effective visualization of goals can be in achieving them. They also talk about, don't worry, they're not like, I wish I had a bike and then the bike is there. They also talk about actions, you need, how you need to take action mm. to get the goal achieved that you want. You know, so it's not just sit back and ask for what you want and hope it happens. I mean, right. that's nice if that ever does. But it's not but, likely and it's not what this yeah. is about. And so, you know, you, you go through these different people who are featured in the film and, you know, people who are into law of attraction or into metaphysics, you know, or philosophy, are going to know who these people are. You know, you've got someone like Bob Proctor, who is the Chicken Soup for the Soul author, and John Asareff is one of the entrepreneurs that speaks, and there's a, there's a bunch more people. So I highly recommend it if you're interested in law of attraction or if you need to change your frame of mind, simply change your frame of mind. And to clarify, that wasn't a Netflix original movie. That was a direct-to-video movie. Yes, sorry. Available that that was direct-to-video. And then Netflix has had it for years. Okay, cool. My fifth favorite non-theatrical movie of all time is from 1998. Another HBO original movie. I just couldn't avoid HBO as much as I tried. It was Gia, starring Angelina Jolie, about a... Supermodel on the rise, apparently. A real-life supermodel on the rise whose rebellious and wild lifestyle led to her contracting AIDS and and dying from AIDS. I think... In, in a the, really gruesome way, visually. Uh, it was pretty graphic. Mm, I think this was in the late 80s, early 90s, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember exactly the timeline, but it was definitely at the height of the... AIDS epidemic and if anybody ever has any doubts about Angelina Jolie's talent having seen her in so many damn action movies maybe check out this film and her performance in it because she is actually a truly a truly great dramatic actress that just doesn't get enough opportunity to show off her dramatic chops I highly recommend this film just for her performance alone, the very least. But it is also interesting learning about this individual and and her life. So that's Gia on HBO Now. My next one is, I believe, triple F rated. It is The Tale from HBO 2018, starring Laura Dern, the writer and director as Jennifer Fox. It's a woman filming a documentary on childhood rape victims. She starts to question the nature of her childhood, her own childhood relationship with her riding instructor and running coach. This is not as hard as I thought it would be to get through. Okay. It's a very important film because it can be very difficult to verbalize 
a childhood trauma such as this and how difficult it can be in either being able to realize what happened to you as a child with this kind of experience or whether it's as you're a child or whether it's as an adult. And so I love Laura Dern's performance in this. I wish she got an Oscar for this. Didn't she get a Golden Globe or an Emmy, which is just as important? Well, that's wonderful. For, for a director cable, made for cable movie. Well, I, I guess that's possible. I'm not having an easy time finding it. Okay. But it, it's just, it's, it's so good. And yes, it's uneasy, but it's more about the realization and coming to terms with what happened as an adult. So I, I really like this one. And what is that? And where can this is The Tale from HBO. Excellent. My fourth favorite non-theatrical film is from 2012, another HBO original movie. We're just chock full of them. Well, they are the best. <laughs> Game Change is its name. And it is Jay Roach's look at the 2008 um, election process as it pertains to John John McCain's campaign. Oh, I love that movie. Starring Ed Harris and Julianne Moore as Sarah Palin. That was such a good movie. And so many others that I can't even think of all the top of my head. What was very interesting about this movie is it's not necessarily a laugh and point look at Sarah Palin as much as kind of describing how detailing how she became the VP nominee in the first place for John McCain and also like the troubles that they're having with her during the campaign and with that it's also what's also interesting is how much it humanizes Sarah Palin as well during this period yeah it's fascinating and funny at times but it's a, a really solid film game change from 2012 on HBO now. That's a really good pick. My third favorite that I've wanted on practically every list, you know, for the past year, is from Netflix from 2018, Private Life. It's a really good film. It's so freaking fantastic. It's also F rated, I believe. Director, writer, Tamara Jenkins. Ah, uh, Tamara Jenkins, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've got Catherine Hahn, who I love. She's from Bad Moms. She's the the crazier one. Anyway, uh, it's also got Paul Giamatti. They are a couple who is really trying to have a child. They're trying to go through different fertility therapies and treatments, and they're just not it's just not working Mm -hmm. they're trying with the therapies they're trying without the therapies and so what this movie what i love about this movie is it really goes into how how draining exhausting mentally defeating uh this process can be you know specifically if it's not working and so you know i've known women who have tried fertility treatments some it worked for some it did not And so I just, I really appreciate this film. I do cry a lot in it. And the performance, it's because the performances are so true. The story is so true and and so humanely told. And that's Private Life available on Netflix. Awesome. That's probably one of the main reasons why you wanted this 
uh, this list, and we're looking forward yes. to it. Yes. <laughs> Private life is the reason. <laughs> okay, so my third favorite is also a TV movie, and I used to have a copy of it on VHS. I don't think I've seen it in print since, mm-hmm. and it's unfortunately not available to stream either, but I think it was an ABC original movie. It, it was Tuesdays with Maury, which is based on the Mitch album memoir that was a very popular sensation in the late 90s. This film was made in 1999. It stars Hank Azaria, who many Simpson fans I love, love. Hank. I love seeing his face. Mm-hmm. I love hearing his voice. Very rarely does he get a lead starring role in a live action movie. And uh, Jack Lemmon, just uh, two years before he passed away, he plays Maury, who's basically this this teacher, this former teacher and and friend of Hank Azaria's character's Mitch, who's basically this like sports writer, hotshot guy, and he learns that his his this guy who who meant so much to him in his past is dying, and so he spends more time with him, and Maury imparts lots of wisdoms and aphorisms. Uh, to Mitch, uh, kind of lessons for him to carry through the rest of his life. And it's a beautiful movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. I don't know how well it holds up, but I remember watching this thing and jotting every aphorism that Maury spit out down, you know, just loving and just chewing up the idealism and the love and warmth that Maury exuded via Jack Lemon. And I also remember watching it thinking, uh, you know, wow, like we're near the end of Jack Lemon's life. And I was very accurate mm. about that as well. And he's an actor that I love as well. So Tuesdays with Moria is my third favorite non-theatrical feature. My number two is very light and so much fun. It's my oldest one from 1992. So straight to VHS. Oh, I love that we get to say that, you and me. <laughs> um, how I spent Tiny Toons Adventures, how I spent... My Summer Vacation original movie. Uh, you know, it's the end of the school year at Acme University and the Tiny Toons get to do summer filled with fun. Uh, Buster and Babs Bunny turn a water fight into a white water rafting trip. <laughs> like she didn't want to do that. She wanted to suntan, sunbathe gotcha, gotcha, the gotcha. whole summer. Yeah, That's all she wanted to do. But Buster, of course, he has to rope her into things. And then you get to see Quacky, what he's doing. He goes to some sort of theme park that's equivalent to Walt Disney World with Ham. And then you see uh, Elmira gets to go to a jungle safari of some kind and tries to steal the kitties, you Mm. know. So (laughs) it's a lot of fun. I forgot what Taz it's not Taz. It's Dizzy. It's Dizzy. I forget what Dizzy gets to do, but it's all so much fun. And it's it's something for everyone because everybody has some kind of summer story that's relatable to these characters. So one of my favorite, it's available on Hulu, How I Spent My Summer Vacation, Tiny Toons Adventures. Very cool. Yes, that is a fun, fun pick. Uh, uh, coincidentally, my second favorite is also an animated movie. It's one I discovered recently. It's from 2018. It is The Death of Superman. Oh. Technically half of a overall story, but it is the better half. It is thrilling. It's jaw-dropping. It's suspenseful. Uh, it starts out kind of funny in the first act as well. It has 
all the different emotions that a superhero film can have. And it's, it's very cool. It's basically, if you're not familiar, it is, of course, based on the 1992 Death of Superman storyline where an unstoppable force comes out of the ground, out of, out of the blue, and just starts this unstoppable assault towards Metropolis with letting nothing get in its way or survive in its way. Yeah, don't see Superman Doomsday. Don't get it mixed up with that from 2007. That is a bad, bad, bad version of this. <laughs> Death of Superman. It is everything. And you might even get a little teary in the end. It's that effective. And if if you are so inclined, I think it's available on DC Universe as well. But you can rent it on Amazon. That's awesome, love. My number one. My number one favorite uh, non-theatrical release is an HBO film. Because ah, surprise. Surprise. <laughs> I'm like such an HBO lover. From 2010, Temple Grandin mm, is my favorite. Really? Yeah. And you've spoken a bit about it. But, you know, what was funny is we watched this movie and then a couple days later we watched Okja and we were just like horrified. Right. <laughs> because, right. you know, you watch a movie and you think, okay, this is the, how the world is. You know, it's been made better by... A real-life superhero, Temple Grandin, <laughs> making things more humane and in her wonderful way that she sees the world. She's a very considerate person, if you think about that. You know, it's not just for animal uh, humaneness and, and rights, but she's this very considerate person because she's thinking about putting herself in the position of the livestock. She's and, empathetic. Yeah, Incredibly. And, you know, her Claire Dane's performance as Temple Grandin is amazing. I, I, I really feel like we we need to have more movies of our our, our real people superheroes. And uh, she's one of them. Awesome. I'm, that's very interesting. I wouldn't have thought that would be your absolute favorite, but that's very cool. So my absolute favorite is also an HBO movie. I swear we're not sponsored by HBO in any way. Although, I mean, I wouldn't mind. Just saying. (laughs) It is actually my favorite movie. One of my favorites that I highlighted in the previous episode in terms of virus movies. It is from 1993. It is and the band played on a very effective, fascinating, and interesting look at the AIDS epidemic through the CDC's eyes, largely with a little bit of a tapestry of some of its victims as well being interviewed by the uh, CDC. It's kind of all-star cast with Richard Gere, Glenn Healy, Richard Masur, Phil Collins, Matthew Modine. Gosh, there's just so many people. It's ridiculous how many people were stuffed into this film. But anyway, Ian McKellen. Yeah, I just found this to be powerful, fascinating, uh, interesting now to look at the attitudes of organizations at that time uh alden alda is someone who's so arrogant that he wants to take credit for identifying the aids virus and he's so arrogant that he thinks anybody who's working with the french who's also trying to to figure out the problem it's like an us against them kind of thing like a competition yeah it's 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 a really really solid film it's my favorite hbo movie ever made so far it is my favorite non-theatrical film of all time i have a copy on dvd but you don't have to look for that you could just go to hbo now to find it so 
Those are our favorite non-theatrical movies. It's a really good pick for a true-life villain, actually. Oh, that yeah. doctor. Yeah, Doctor Gallo yeah. by Alan Alda. Very cool. Yeah. What are some of your favorite non-theatrical movies? Movies made for TV, cable, streaming, or direct-to-video? Feel free to email us at the Gibson Review at g at gmail.com that's the name of our email that's how it goes so shanna mm -hmm. before we talk a little bit about the next episode of the movie lovers share with us where people can find you online you can find me on instagram at shanna underscore paxton underscore photography and politely say hello also on flick chart oh i i guess spellbinding a very cool yes um, all one word yes you can, of course, go to the main site, thegibsonreview.com, to find all past articles, reviews, and features, as well as episodes of The Movie Lovers. You can also go to the social media outlets, which is Facebook slash The Gibson Review and Instagram, The Gibson 99. I often put on a ballot, or not ballot, what are they called? Bracket polls. Bracket polls are often on there. You might find and those one there. are really fun. Thank you. You might find um, some on there having to do with non theatrical movies right now. And of course, on the flick chart as well, the Gibson 99. Next time on The Movie Lovers, we're going to celebrate and focus on the 60s. So we'll be counting down our favorite 60s, the 60s. movies. We were going to review No Time to Die, the latest James Bond movie, which is a franchise, of course, that started in the 60s. That is not happening. So as a backup plan, um, you know, examining the 60s, it's a very interesting decade of, of dualities or, or a couple different things happening at the same time. And so one thing that seemed like a, a good fit is to revisit... Uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Breathless and review that. That would be a new feature for Shanna. Um, and maybe even do a dual review of that and his follow-up Contempt. Uh, maybe we'll see about that. Keep an eye on the Instagram for updates on the programming there. But largely it will probably be a movie like that that's celebrating its 60th anniversary, if not its 55th anniversary. Uh, but I think that's the direction we're going to is, at the very least, a review of Breathless. Until then, oh, until then, when is then? Then is <laughs> April 28th. That's when you can expect that episode. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying bye-bye. What do they speak in Brazil? Portuguese. Oh, well, maybe it's not that. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> we should just edit that out. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it's extra Spanish. But I thought they were in Brazil. Oh, you should find but out. But they're obviously not because I hear some of the words. <laughs>